Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Basu and Gare Notebook. This is the episode of October 27th. Uh, Arpen, how are you doing today? Good. I'm still getting used to Basu and Gare Notebook. I keep thinking you're going to say, welcome to the Athletic Support. You know? I'm your host. But uh, <laughs> I know. Still. I have to remind myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're at a good... Uh, yeah. So listen, a lot to get to this week. Um, so why don't we just jump right in? Obviously, the big, uh, the big news... Since our last episode is that you know David Savard is going to be out for up to two months, maybe maybe sooner than that. I happened to see him at the Bell Center uh, Thursday night last night, and uh, he had a cast on his hand, but no surgery required. Yeah, but still, there's uh, there's been moving yeah. parts since then. There's there's a lot of moving parts because I don't yeah. think there's any clear answers to how the Canadians lose this guy. And uh, who knew David Savard was so important? Maybe David Savard did. I think the Canadians did too, but the I think Canadians a lot of the fans did. didn't realize it. And I think a lot of the media, frankly, don't realize how kind of pivotal he is to how the whole defense is kind of shaped. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's especially some... for the for the for what he brings uh, in terms of his, you know, is very special set of skills. <laughs> yes. You know, defensively, the uh, the PK, uh, the shot blocking ability, things like that. Um, so there's, there's also, a committee also, that's been, yeah. Well, just it bears mentioning that, you know, with Columbus in town on Thursday, you know, a lot of their media obviously was there and just how all of them were concerned for, but David Savard, like they, you know, he really left a mark in Columbus. I think a lot of the people in yeah. Columbus, the fans, the media, um, a were concerned, but B were kind of like, oh, that's David Savard for you, you know, out there, uh, actually being featured on the Pat McAfee show. Uh, for his shot blocking shift, that shift of the year at the end of the Buffalo game, oh, taking nice. a Tage Thompson shot off the hand, breaking his hand, staying out there, blocking more shots, losing his skate blade, everything was part of what Pat McAfee does. This this hockey is awesome segment on his show, and then he was part of it. So good for him. But it just it's that is the skill set you're referring to. Yeah, that. absolutely. So yeah. well, today we're gonna look at at the the committee that's being established to share the responsibilities, share the load while he's while he's out, what it means for uh, the different defensemen, mainly the younger ones. Uh, we've got, for all intents and purposes, I think that we can say that Caden Gooley is going to be back for Saturday's game. It's not, hasn't been confirmed, but it's, it is to be expected. Um, but already with Savala, we've seen how things changed for, mainly for Justin Barron and to a certain extent to Jonathan Kovacevic. So uh, let's... Uh, You know, we later on in the show we're going to discuss, uh, you know, retaliation to uh, to dangerous hits. Uh, we've got our prospect Friday. Uh, that's going to be our regular segment for the end of the week, and uh, we'll finish off by uh, talking a little bit about Brendan Gallagher and how he's bounced back after uh, a sort of worrisome training camp and worrisome start to this season. Um, mm -hmm. But first, let me. Uh, I know that you wrote about Jonathan Kovacevic, so let's use this as a starting point. Um, you know, he was uh, he was seeing Pascal Vincent, his former coach with the Manitoba, uh, Manitoba Moose, uh, last night uh, at the Bell Center. Uh, Pascal Vincent, now the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he's a guy who's really going to be looked upon to fill David Savard's shoes uh, in terms of defensive responsibilities. We've seen his minutes go up, and in the third period, he was they Martin Saint Louis switched Justin Barron and mm -hmm. him uh, alongside 
Mike Matheson. So we we saw through the third period, Kovacevic being paired uh, with Matheson. Top duo, top pairing for the Canadians. What did you make of this? Well, I, I, I guess I'll share a little bit of how the day went. Uh, just because I don't know if you caught Marte St. Louis' answer to the question on why he did that. So he's not someone yeah. who's, known, who's known for his brevity, except when he doesn't want to talk about something. So after the game, he didn't, uh, he didn't want to address why he... No specific reason is what he said as to why he switched... Jonathan Kovacevic or swapped Jonathan Kovacevic and Justin Barron and had them both. Uh, Justin Barron, I think in particular, I think really benefited from having easier matchups and, and really had a great third period, I thought. Uh, but the backstory to that, for anyone else who kind of saw Martin St. Louis sort of avoid that question, is, is on Thursday morning, I had asked him about, uh, you know, whoever plays with Mike Matheson is naturally going to play a lot. They're going to play against the opposing team's top lines. They're going to they're going to get lots of minutes five on five. They might you know they're not going to get the same minutes as Matt Singen because Matson's on the penalty kill and the power play. But at even strength, uh, you're going to play a lot, and yeah. that's what Justin Barron was kind of thrust into. So to go from being a healthy scratch for the first three games to a few games later being on the top pair is is quite a jump, you know. <laughs> and I think he was having he was having a bit of trouble handling it. So. You know, Thursday morning, Martin was like, well, you know, yes, they're going to face a lot of opposition, but there's that's added responsibility, and we're watching Justin Barron play. We're going to let that dictate what we do with him and whatever. And so a totally fine, perfectly fine answer. Um, but then after the game, when he actually did have to switch him, uh, he wasn't all that chatty about it. So I think he kind no. of – no, well, I, I think he, he didn't I, want to acknowledge that that – I, this is, listen, I don't know what he was actually thinking, but I think he would have had to acknowledge that he kind of maybe gave Justin Barron a bit too much too soon and that yeah. he, he realized that during the game. And that's fine. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, I was able to infer it myself in my story. Uh, didn't need his, his answer to really fill that out. But I think it's just uh, a great opportunity for Jonathan Kovacevic. Listen, we talked about him in, in a previous episode and just, you know, his emergence as a guy, he, he, you know, speaking to him prior to the game, uh, something he said that actually, no, this was actually pre earlier this week was, you know, he, he felt like a lot of things in his game will get unlocked with increased comfort. And you look at his AHL numbers in his first two years in the AHL, he was coached by Pascal Vaisson and put up fine numbers, but Pascal was, uh, really had some nice things to say about him before the game, how, how smart he thought he was, how he was really considered him to be a good prospect for the Jets. And it turned out that he winds up getting that opportunity here. He was happy for him. He called him a good man, you know, and which is not, honestly, you don't, you don't hear that in hockey that you hear that about like management types and agents and all sorts, but a coach calling a player, a good man. But I think, it, you know, I think you'd agree. It really fits with Jonathan Kovacevic. Totally. He's, totally. he's a very, very good man. you know, <laughs> And so, and so, but it's just his preparedness for this. And, you know, as I wrote in my story, the one thing Pascal Vincent told Kovacevic while he was in the HL is be over ready, be over prepared, mm -hmm. be, be ready for when the opportunity comes. So uh, the first year Pascal Vincent had left uh, to take the Columbus job, which was his, with Kovacevic's third season in the HL, he put up 11 goals, 30 points in 62 games, you know, became a half point a game 
defenseman, you know, showed some offensive upside, but that he felt was due to his level of comfort. Now he's entering his second season in the NHL. I think that comfort level is coming for him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know even if on Saturday he's going to be playing with Matheson, but he seems like someone, and Nick Suzuki said it, you know, that he looks like a guy who's ready to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. Which well, uh, I'm sure. Brett, he never said that about Brett Kulak, I don't think. But he said, I'm sure, saying that about Jonathan Kovacevic. And he was it was really sincere. You know, he said how his poise has improved from last season, hanging on to pucks to make plays, just little details of the game. But he's been quite impressed. And I think all his teammates have been really impressed by this guy. So let's see if this opportunity that we saw a glimpse of in the third period actually becomes a thing to help deal with the loss of this of this unique player that they lost in David Smart. Yeah, well, his his style of play complements Matheson, yeah. whereas Baron and Matheson, I thought that it was a bit always more of the same. They're a built redundant. a little redundant. bit similarly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was redundant. So if you just want guys who will complement each other, that it would make more sense. But I want to come back to uh, the brevity of uh, St. Louis' answer regarding changing those pairings in the third period. Um, I think that management have, has identified, not just St. Louis, but all of the Montreal Canadiens brass, have identified that they want to build up Justin Barron. They want to bring him and make, make sure that yeah. they develop him properly. But yeah. they've acknowledged the fact that mentally he needs to be protected and he mm -hmm. cannot be thrown under the bus. So there, there has already been a few opportunities so far this season since either, either during training camp where he, mm -hmm. he seriously, seriously had his ups and downs And since he came back and started playing in the regular season, St. Louis had opportunities to, you know, to say, to make a negative remark or two about him. To say what he said about Suzuki. Exactly. Without, yeah. you know, without finger pointing, being too harsh, just, yeah, just telling it just like it is. But being honest, honest the way he said he, he said he doesn't right. want to lie. Yeah. He That's right. be honest. But I don't, think he was, Barron, I don't think he was all that honest with that answer last night, though. <laughs> No, but I mean that's okay. He chose not. He chose not to lie. He'd rather oh, say yeah. nothing than choosing to lie. Absolutely, yeah. But I think that in case in the case of Baron, it's like if he was to say, you know what, I thought that he struggled, that it was too much, so a chance was needed. He mm. would have thrown his his young defenseman under the bus, and particularly when it comes to Baron, this is something that that they want to avoid. When they mm. pondered, do we send him down to Laval? Or do we keep him? Do we keep Norlander and send him uh, and send Baron down to Laval? It's not just well, is Norlander ready for the task? It's also well, how would it affect Baron's psyche? Aren't we better off keeping him mm. in Montreal, make him feel like he's part of the team, build him up, and uh, over time, like work on his deficiencies and and you know just help him becoming a better player? So I think that goes into the the development mindset yeah. that that Martin Saint-Louis has, not only psychologically, but in, in terms also of strategic development uh, in, in in the responsibilities our soldier are given. That's another thing that you uh, I know you asked uh, Martin Saint-Louis about uh, regarding Baron mm -hmm. and regarding Arbor Jackai was their role on the second second unit of the PP. People will say, You know, it's it's weird because Baron is a guy who's offensively minded. 
He's very mobile. Can walk the blue line on the PP. He's got a has decent a quick, shot. Has a quick, and it has a quick shot. Yeah, a quick shot that he gets through. Yeah. So he he seems to be fit for his second PP duties. And you look at Jacka. He's you would perceive him more of as defensive defenseman. So why isn't it that Jacka plays on the PK and Baron plays on the PP? But what we've seen is the other way around. And you had a theory on that, and I think that it goes along along the way of Saint We being well, focused yeah. on defense on development. It's absolutely the same thing. I spoke to both of them actually before the game on Thursday, uh, Jack High and Baron, on this. And well, neither of them wanted to say, "Yeah, I'd rather be on the other special teams." <laughs> um, they basically said that. I mean, Baron was kind of like Baron's never killed penalties at the NHL level. He's done it at every level, moving up. Like he played in junior. American Hockey League, prior to that, he's been a penalty killer before, just not in the NHL. Jackye has never played on the power play on a consistent basis. Even mm-hmm. in junior, when he did play, on the rare occasions he played on the power play, he was a one-timer option in the right circle. He was never the quarterback of the power plays. So this is the first time he's done that. And I was just kind of, to both of them, was like, you know, don't you feel like you would really firm up a role that's yours? if you were doing the other guy's job, not, you know, and ask them separately. And Baron was kind of like, yeah, I think, yeah, probably makes more sense to have me on the power play. And Jack was like, yeah, probably makes more <laughs> sense to have me on the penalty kill. Like they didn't deny it, but they're happy to be getting the opportunity. And when I asked Marty about it before the game, you know, he said that for Baron, I'm paraphrasing here, but for Baron to become a regular player in the NHL. This is an area of the game that he has to shore up and he's and he's taken strides in his defensive game. He's happy to see how he's improved defensively since he came to Montreal. And this is just another way to get him to make those improvements. So he he wants him to have a defensive role on the team, even though he's always been an offensive guy. And and he didn't flat out say it, but that's clearly a case of making an NHL personnel decision based more on development than what will help you right now. Yeah. Uh, you see the, you see Baron shooting the puck. He gets it off really quickly. He's got a deceptive shot. He's, uh, you know, the two goals he scored, I joked with him, you know, what kind of voodoo are you using to have these long rebounds land directly on your stick? <laughs> and he laughed. But, you know, it's not everyone that would have been able to just snap those pucks home. Like, he did it both times. One-timer, didn't settle the puck down. Like he has a skill set that would be useful on power play too. It's not as if power play, the second power play unit is humming along. Um, even though the overall power play has scored now in four straight games, believe it or not, and scored twice for the first time this season against Columbus. But still, it just, it's interesting that, you know, oftentimes coaches will be like, let's put a player in the best position to succeed, right? And they'll do all sorts of things. You know, Uri Slavkovsky is going to play in the top six, and I don't care how bad he plays, he's staying in the top six, and he's going to have a top six role because we want him to succeed, and that's the best way to make him succeed. Um, This is almost the opposite. This is almost like let's put guys in a position where they're uncomfortable and force them to improve, which I think is is commendable in the Canadian situation. Like it's 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 a super it's an interesting decision, an interesting explanation for it. And ultimately, I think a positive for the Canadians because they—it's true—they do—they do come out on the winning end if Justin Barron ultimately becomes a better defensive player, or ultimately becomes someone who becomes good on the penalty kill because 
let's be honest, right now that's not the case. He's not he's not been very good on the penalty kill. Jack has not been very good on the power play. He even admitted uh, the previous game on Tuesday how he had messed up a breakout, how everyone else had, you know, it's, it's actually, I don't know if you knew this, I found it interesting, is that, so when power, the second power play unit is on, is on the bench, yeah, they will come up with a breakout to use coming off the bench because usually they're changing on the fly, right? They usually change after yeah. the other team clears the puck down the ice. So they will come up with a breakout that they're going to use on their first on their first shift because basically when they get on the ice, there's usually maybe 20, 30 tops, 40 seconds left in the power play. They don't have time to waste. And in the last in, in the game against Minnesota on Tuesday, uh, they had agreed on one and Jack High, for whatever reason, thought it was a different one and messed it up. And he was like, that was on me. Everyone else did the right thing. I didn't. So he's still, you know, he's still getting used to, he's never played that position before. So you have two guys who have never done the jobs they're doing right now in the NHL. And they're being force fed these jobs just so that they can get better at them. And and that's really, that's, that's a, it's a smart decision. I feel it's, it's, it's not as if the Canadians are desperate to, to win. Well, so might as well, might as well do this. Yeah. Well, watching Jack, I practice sometimes by himself ahead of practice on, you know, his movement at the blue line on his shot, yeah. et cetera. It reminds me a little bit of seeing, uh, you know, Scott Hatterberg's character in Moneyball learning how to play first base. <laughs> right. Yes, <laughs> so, that's right. Picking machine. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, that's it. Dave, Dave Justice, you know. Like, that's it. Pumping him up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's a little bit like that. But this things might change. You know, we're discussing this might become a, a moot point by tomorrow. With, yeah. You know, if Caden Gooley comes back, you would think that Caden Gooley is going to take his, his, his spot back on, on the PK. Which, in this case, could if if Martin Saint Louis really wants to give Justin Barron some minutes, then he could put him on the power play. But that being said, I think that this I'm not this even show- sure that Justin Barron would be the one to come out of the PK if Gouli goes back because Jacka has been getting minutes. Yeah. So you got Kovacevic, you got Matheson, you got Gouli. Yeah. There's one more guy that has to play on the PK. I think it might wind up being Barron. It's possible. It's either yeah. that or, or playing because I think he's ahead of Jack High in the PK order. Like that's they don't want Jack High playing both special teams. They really he no. Said I know, himself. I know. But yeah. what I'm saying is that they could go. They could make. Yeah, you're right. Harris yeah. Harris would be the other Harris would be the other option, which is right. which might which might wind up being the case. Mm-hmm. But um, but this but, decision yeah. goes to show how the the year is still firmly based on development and not results. And when I listen to uh, Martin Saint Louis, sometimes his, his decisions or or the way that he he'll talk about his players, you know, the, after the game yesterday, he said, "Yeah, I might have raised my voice in between the first and second period, and I might I might have used a bullet, but there's just so many bullets that a coach has, and you have to pick yeah. your, your spots in order to use them." And he's a guy who's been keeping a very positive approach for the most part because he's been protecting his players. And mm. last uh, last week, uh, you know, he, he he said he told the media he said, you know, oh, you guys don't ask me a lot about the our five on five play, which is fine, and you criticize the power play, which is not doing so good, and I find that the coverage is negative. I think that it's fine that the the the, the media is just doing their job, and you can it's yeah. not nitpicking for the fun of nitpicking, but at some point you you cannot be compliant and complacent every day. Uh, but 
I think that it's just Martin saying we oui. in his head. He's got he doesn't want to be put in positions where he's going to have to say bad things when he doesn't plan on doing that because he's not ready because it's not the right time for it. So it, yeah. when it's not in his control and he's being put in that position by the media, it makes it uncomfortable because in his plan, there's, you know, uh, I, I was saying that on the, uh, on the 10 Mahaki, uh, the other podcast that I'm participating in, I feel like he's, he's, he seems to be in that mentality where he's going to say four positive things for one negative and not right. do one. Not the to other balance that to balance out the dictionary, yes. Yeah. So, in that sense, I, I think that all that, whether it's the decisions on the ice or the way that he talks about his players, it really proves how much he he takes this season as a development developmental year, a lot more than a results based year. They're also they're also four two and one after seven games. You know, they're <laughs> yes. they're, they're the back, results are there. The results are there. Yeah. So I think I could under like you know, but it, it you know going back to when Marie was talking about you know there's four negative words in the dictionary to every one positive word, mm. a reference I could not find any evidence of, but that's he insists that's the case. So I'll take him on his word. But um, that was a unique situation where there was a lot of time between games. So the game prior, they had taken a lot of penalties. The penalty kill wasn't very good. The power play wasn't very good. There was like two three days to talk about it. So you know, and, and but they are getting results. But they're not letting those impact the personnel decisions that they're making, which uh, in, in this case, um, you know, I, I, I think it's easy to assume that Gouley's coming back as the veteran presence. But, you know, he's second year in the NHL. He's not exactly he's, – he's someone that they need to develop as well. Um, so when he does come back, which I think is all but assured will happen on Saturday, uh, it's an interesting kind of – situation on defense because you have let's say for a minute that they keep Kovacevic with Matheson yeah which I think they should then you have Gouli on the second pair you have the option of putting Baron with him which would be a good fit stylistically as as you know not redundant as we were talking about earlier or you'd have the option of moving Jordan Harris to the right side and playing him with Gouli And then having Jackai Barron on the third pair, which is probably a better spot for Barron to be playing. Um, of those two options, and, and keeping in mind everything you said about how they're trying to manage Barron, how they're trying to manage his psyche, his morale, everything. Yeah. Uh, where do you think, what do you think is the better of the two options? Uh, Taking for granted that Gustav Lindstrom will not be in the picture. Of course. Yeah. Yes. I would uh I would go with uh I would go with Gouli and Harris on the second pairing and put mm -hmm. Jack Eye and Barron together because if if they're unsure of the consistency of Barron's play from one shift to another, uh it it's better to to you know to manage his minutes, shelter him a bit, and not put too much responsibility because it's one thing to be playing with Matt, Mike Matheson, who's a very experienced guy. And it's, an, it's another thing to ask a second-year player like Gouley to say, you know what, at the same time, keep an eye on your partner and make sure that, you know, you, yeah, you cover exactly. his ass if, yeah. if anything happens. So you don't have to worry about that if the third pairing is playing 15 minutes a night. Um, yeah. So, and you can... I think that the fact that he's in the lineup, the fact that you'll give him time 
on the special teams, it's it should be good enough. You know, the fact that I don't think that Barron's in any position to say, well, how come I'm not playing for top four minutes? Uh, I think things will change very quickly. I think that there's no definite uh, duos on defense that are really set in stone for the foreseeable future. But just mm-hmm. to ease Gouli back in, I think that uh, that Harris, even though he would be playing on his offside, uh, would probably be a more stable partner for Gouli, at least yeah. at the beginning. No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the only reason they wouldn't do that is if they look at it – well, basically, if they prioritize Barron's development over Harris's, really. Because, again, Jordan Harris is also a young player. You know, they have a lot of young players on defense. And and so and, – and it would benefit Jordan Harris, much like it benefits Barron – to shore up his defensive game, learn how to kill penalties. It would benefit Barrett Harris to learn how to play on the right side or, or, well, he already knows how to play on the right side, but to get more reps playing on the right side and showing that that's something that's an option that's available to the Canadians with him. Because as we've mentioned in the past, you know, he's on, it's hard to see. It's hard to see his niche on this team. You know, it's, 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 he's, he's a good player, smart player, doesn't really excel at any one thing, doesn't have a, a dimension as, as I think you mentioned in the past. So, you know, for him showing that he can be a, an option on the right side uh, would be, a, you know, another, another ace up his sleeve, if you will, just like penalty killing duty and power play duty is, is, is that for Baron and Jack high. Uh, but, but I also just think he would just be a better fit and it would be a better thing for Baron you know, because both if both if both Baron and Jack are playing on special teams, and they'll get their extra minutes there. That's it. And so That's having it. them on a third pair together would make a lot of sense. And Gouli um, and Harris are two guys that can jump in the rush occasionally, be that fourth guy in, and yeah. But it was not going not necessarily going to be always the same. It could be one guy on certain in a certain situation, the other in the, in the other, and it would it would still be balanced. But I think that. Even though it's hard to find a definite spot for Harris, I think that the more that he joins the offense, uses his mobility, is 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 plus skating to mm. open some room, open some ice, and really, you know, join the rush. I think the more he does that, the more value he'll add to to his play because it's not necessarily through the special teams that he's going to be uh, that he's going to prove his worth. It's really by how how much of a threat he can be by stretching his play over 200 feet. Yeah. But uh, and, five on five. Yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, it bears mentioning, you mentioned Marte saying, we talking about how we were, there was the media were all negative on the power play, you know, not so long ago. Well, the power play has scored in four straight games, scored twice against Columbus, but really were deprived of two opportunities. And, Wanted to talk about this a little bit just because it was annoying to me and I think it was annoying to you as well. But, uh, you know, the officiating crew for the Columbus game taking the hit from behind, two consecutive hits from behind in short order, really close to each other, and having both of them even out penalty-wise because the Canadians retaliated. One was Arbor Jackai getting a fighting major and a roughing minor. Yeah. which was really n'importe quoi, which is like really like, I don't want to give you an instigator. Like, I feel you you instigated the fight. 
but I don't think I, you don't deserve an instigator because the fight was kind of justified. The guy hit you from behind. Of course. But I still don't like that you started the fight, so I'm going to give you a roughing penalty yeah. on top of your fighting major, as if that's not just by – then every fighting major should come with a roughing penalty because by, just by its very nature, you're roughing when you're well, give him the next yeah. instigator in the 10 minutes while you're at it, you know? Well, that's – I mean, that's – I mean, clearly the official didn't want to do that, and I think that was an admission that – if you're gonna have fighting in the game, then that's the period. That's what you, that's what it's for. Yeah, it's it's to fight a guy who just hit you from behind illegally and show him that there's consequences to doing that, so he doesn't do it again. That's really when everyone says fighting is the thermometer for the game. That's what it's a deterrent. It's supposed to be a deterrent. So if you're gonna allow fighting, then you can't tack on an extra minor and you can't have that even up. And so what happens a few minutes later? Because the Columbus Blue Jackets paid no consequences for that hit from behind, they go and hit another guy from behind. And again, Tanner Pearson jumps in to defend Alex Newhook and winds up getting tagged with a roughing minor. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like, what is the, what is the egregious offense here? And it was like, like such an easy solution. So the first one, no roughing minor on Jack Guy, fighting majors, hit from behind. And on the second one, if you want to give Pearson a roughing minor – then tack on a roughing minor to the other guy, which they do all the time. Even mm -hmm. if a guy is not instigating or is not is not doing anything to provoke a roughing penalty, if he's involved in a tussle or anything after the whistle, they'll, all the time they'll send both guys off, even if it's just one guy who's really the aggressor. You know, so it's just it just bugged the hell out of me the way they handled yeah. that. I mean, these are NHL officials; they should know how to maintain the temperature of a game. And they're really lucky that game didn't get away from them because it could have. Yeah. So I didn't, I was not at the bell center for the game yesterday. And uh, so I listened to it on RDS and after the game, the guys were saying the Canadians lacked discipline because they had two power play opportunities offered to them. And they, they, they screwed it up by, by retaliating, but it's weird because who said that? But who said that on RDS? Was it a former player? Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. I, that strikes me as odd because it's that strikes it, me as odd. That's not a player's mentality usually. I mean, it's 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 pretty rare that you hear a player say something like that. Well, listen, I find that this is this is strange to me because you have. You, let's remember that not too long ago, I think it was two years ago. Uh, Samuel Montembeau was hit by Zach Cassian. And yes. Jeff Petrie skated rather gingerly <laughs> towards, <laughs> yes. towards Cassian. Yeah. Didn't do anything. Ryan Paling did the same. And, and there was an uproar among the fan base saying, how come they did not go out and defend their, their teammate who had yeah. just been hit? It's funny. They got traded together. I know. I, that, just, that just dawned on me that, that, that they, yeah, were, they were linked with that incident. Yeah, Exactly. And... <laughs> Now this time it's the it's the the reverse that's that's happening. You have dangerous hits because I think mm -hmm. that both boarding hits were potentially you know uh, the cause of an injury. Uh, they're dangerous plays and they should not be accepted. And the reason why uh, it's only a two minute penalty really eludes me because you choose to to punish the retaliation and say, dude. You should have you know, kept your cool and not retaliate. You choose to, to to penalize the guy for that. 
Okay, fine. But in the balance, uh, a retaliation or roughing minor should not have the same weight as a boarding hit that was that it was a threat to injure the uh, the opponent. Right. So give four at one place and two at the other. But I was talking Columbus to that. To, Columbus has to wind up with a, a penalty to kill. For sure. Because yeah. none of that happens yeah. if there's no hit from behind in the first place. Yeah. And I was talking about that with Jordan Harris today because in second period, Voronkov had a hit to uh, to Harris's head. And yeah, again, right. it was only a two-minute minor with also a risk of injury there. I mean... By that time, it's the second time around that this guy has been Thank out trying to injure you. Canadians players, and all he gets is he gave the Canadians a two-minute, two-minute power play uh, mm -hmm. through that whole ordeal. So, so I asked What? Harris. I said, "Well, if you have to draw the line between team toughness, showing solidarity, you know, to and go out to defend your, your teammate, versus having to." You know, to to to, to keeping well, your to cool and, and and get the power play. Since so how do you manage? How do you balance both? And he says, "Well, we're a team that has to send the message that you go after one of us, you're going after all of us." Mm -hmm. He says, "Yes, there will be situations where you have to keep your cool, probably later in the game." Well, he said, "Well, the, considering the score, considering where we are in, in in the game, we need that power play, but most of the time." You have to prioritize the, uh, the, the the team toughness and 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 the solidarity, and I'm 100% yeah. agreeing on that. So it's not on the, it's not a lack of discipline from the Canadians. To me, it's just the, the the way the calls are made that should not put an equivalence between a hit from behind and a retaliation penalty. That's that's borderline meaning. If they if they call a retaliation penalty. Like basically, no hit from behind is ever going to result in a power play because there's never a hit from behind that does not retaliate it immediately. You will never have a team. I don't care what team. You will never have a guy hit another guy from behind head first into the boards and not have one of his teammates there in a second yeah. to address it. It's hockey. That's how hockey's played. That's how hockey's governed. That's how the players maintain order. You know, and that's why fighting exists is is because of the rising temperature of the game and it's it's long been Gary Bettman loves saying how it's it regulates the temperature of the game well to those two officials it, it, that's that wasn't the case they didn't they didn't see it that way they gave Arbor Jacki a roughing minor it was so nonsensical anyhow I mean it's I'm gonna go on and on about this but they had a rough night those guys yeah. you know Sean Monahan slashes a guy's stick in half right in front of one of them. They don't call anything. Columbus gets a call down at the other end two seconds later. Like they just had all sorts of bad moments in that game. But yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think. And it's not being pro Canadians. This is just I would have the same argument, you know, on any game, whoever the teams that are involved. It's just, just if you are there to to make sure that the players are safe, well, mm -hmm. you know, call the game accordingly. Yeah, that's it. All okay, right. So we need we need a. We need like we need theme music for Prospect Friday. We also oh, gotta yeah. come up with a better yeah, we need something. We need like a jingle. <laughs> we gotta come up with a jingle. If any of our listeners or viewers out there want to come up with a Prospect Friday jingle, uh, you can send it to us by email, basuengodin at gmail.com. We'd be happy to, to test them out. But it is Prospect Friday. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. Prospect Friday. 
Um, so the prospect this week, uh, I had a chance to go to uh, the Laval Rocket practice on Tuesday. Um, just so happened, like I went because the Canadians weren't skating in the morning and uh, I didn't want to go to the Devil's Skate, so I decided to go to the Laval Rocket Skate and happened to be there on a day when um, they were doing development day. So the Canadian's entire development staff was in Laval. They ran the practice, two straight, two back-to-back practices, like a 45-minute session, flood the ice, come back out, another 35 minutes. It was long. And it was, it was. Yeah, I wrote about it this week, if anyone wants to read about it, but that's not the point of this, is that Joshua Wall was there for that. And, you know, all their other rookies, Riley Kidney, Jaden Struble, all these guys were there. And it was a great window. So it was not the whole made. team. It is the whole team. Okay. It was the whole team, but as far as the Canadians are concerned, the importance of it, I'm sure it's important to Mitchell Stevens. I'm sure it's important to Brandon Gignac. But for the Canadians' future, these guys are, are that these guys are having that. Specifically, Logan Mayu, you know, and I, I think I wrote about this on Tuesday actually that that the fact that Gustav Lindstrom was called up and not Mayu allowed Mayu to be there and do that, and they they have every intention of having these young guys become overripe or overcook down in Laval. So. Spoke to Joshua Roy afterwards, and, you know, I think a lot of people saw his five-point game, the fact he's leading the AHL in scoring with yeah, 11, 11 points. points in five games. In five That's games, amazing. you know. Yeah. You know, a five-point game will help that. Uh, but more overall, just showing a certain amount of NHL readiness that maybe some of the other rookies, and Joff Francois wasn't afraid to say it. You know, he's ahead of guys like Kidney, uh specifically kidney just because he's physically mature for his age. You know, he just turned 20 in August, but he's physically able to handle the rigors of the, of the, of the American hockey league. And he feels like defensively he's been uh, as good as he's been offensively. So, or at least not definitely not a liability. So it's, I, I saw a lot of fan reaction. Like why isn't he in Montreal? Thought I'd ask the man himself. And he is like he couldn't be more on board with being in Laval right now. And he really reminded me of remember when Max Pacioretty went on Tony Marinero's show? Yes, when he yes, was in yes. Hamilton. And I'd he rather said, I'd be rather... first line in Hamilton than fourth line in so, Montreal. I, Joshua Watt, same thing. He said, you know, JF has a lot of confidence in me. I'm playing a lot. He's played over 20 minutes in every game he's played. He's out there in important situations, and who is going to use him? And Who's to say he'd be doing the same thing in Montreal? So he's in a good place there. We talked to Yol Armia today after practice about what's what it's like in Laval. Um, and he was really he came away really impressed with the environment there. He's like, for the for the American Hockey League, it doesn't get better than that. Places packed for games, all the all the all the equipment, everything is top notch. Like it does not get better than that for an American Hockey League team. So I think if anyone's concerned that Joshua Roy is sitting in Laval wondering what he has to do to get called up by the Canadians, I can assure you that that's not the case. Well, I'm sure that if they if there's a, a rash of injuries in the Montreal Canadiens lineup, he'll be called up. But otherwise, there's no rush to to call him up just yet. Let him dominate down there, and it's not it won't be an indictment of him not being ready or whatever. I think that when he's called up, he, he'll be the sort of guy that probably won't go down once he's up. Uh, Well, that's what they want. I mean, that's what the the goal is that when they call him up, that he's up for good. That's it. Yeah, 
They don't and, want to call him up and send him back down and call him up and send him. I mean, we'll mention that specifically. You know, they, 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 oh, they yeah. don't want that. Yeah. They, don't, they, they, they want to make sure that he has enough games under his belt so that when he goes up, he, he, he goes up and stays there. Yeah. So I, you say our, we spoke to Armia. Armia said that uh, he liked his uh, he likes his, his tight tight space plays a little bit like Armia himself is is comfortable. Mm -hmm. That that's one quality that Armia has in spades is being able to you know make moves and and manipulate the puck in in tight quarters. Uh, Joshua Hua has that too, but he's got he says that he makes a lot of smart plays. And uh, Yasuo Lonen, who played with Hua during during camp uh, uh -huh. said he's an elite talent and for him he's, he definitely sees a top six upside for for Roy. so how refreshing would that be for the Montreal Canadiens if um what is it third now we're 13 if not 14 years after Brendan Gallagher was drafted in the fifth round if a late pick yeah. uh you know blossoms and makes It, and gives the Canadians, provides the Canadians uh, with a top six forward. Because that, as far as I know, it hasn't happened since since Gallagher. But no, a later pick like that, you know, both yeah. of, both guys being drafted in the fifth round. And they're generally, they're generally rare. I mean, it's not that the Canadians are deficient in this game. I mean, no, but there's not we, many top six forwards around the NHL that are fifth round picks. I mean, it's, no, it's, I agree. But, yeah. you know, at some point you need – Pleasant surprises. You need to hit yeah. a home run with one of your later picks because that's that's where it might differentiate you because you won't always have the top five pick and it puts even more pressure on your first round picks or your high picks mm -hmm. uh, if you never have anything coming out later. Well, Joshua Hua seems to be a very nice surprise. He seems to be also the guy, uh, the sort of guy who could eventually compliment Nick Suzuki pretty well. Well, compliment's a good word. Uh, I, I did talk to him about, you know, I found it fascinating how quickly he became joined at the hip with Conor Bedard at the World Juniors. And, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about this notion of complimentary players, you know, Raphael Harvey-Pinard being a, a, a sort of exhibit A of a guy who, and they have, you know, on the coaching staff, they have Alex Burroughs, who basically made his whole career being a complimentary player as being the one guy who could really thrive with the Sedins because they were tough to read off of. And so Bedard struck me as a guy that could be difficult to read off of because he's so unpredictable. He's so shifty. He does so many things that are outside the box. And Josh actually admitted He was like, yeah, sometimes Connor would throw a fake. He'd fake out the other team, but he would fake us out too. And we didn't, yeah. really, we didn't really know what to expect. But he he quickly adapted to him, and he quickly started to understand his patterns and his rhythms and where to go on the ice to be most effective with him. In a short tournament, that's hard. You know, remember years ago when Hockey Canada couldn't find a line mate for Sidney Crosby until he found Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron because – No one could play with him effectively in that short a span of time to build that the chemistry required and the knowledge required to play with someone that brilliant uh, wasn't easy necessarily for the best players in the world. And so Josh said that's that's a quality that he's always had and 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 that all through hockey he's always been able to adapt to his line mates and and play to read their strengths and adapt his game to their strengths so that together they become stronger. And as soon as he said that, I was like, this is the type of guy that Nick Suzuki needs on his wing, you know, and Cole Caulfield, like eventually, yeah. not, don't freak out. 
not right away. But honestly, like, I know for a fact the Canadians, as a, as a matter of policy, want their rookies to stay in Laval as long as they can. But if Joshua Roy continues at this pace for 50 games, let's say. Uh, and he dominates and, and the AHL that way. The he way dominates he the way he is. Maybe not okay. the way he is right now. Not like, yeah. you know, he's be on pace for 110 points in 50 games. I don't <laughs> think he's going to do that. But if he, if he continues to be a point-of-game player or even better than that, through 50 games, I think the Canadians at that point would feel comfortable saying, okay, he's done what he has to do in the American Hockey League. Let's get him up. And if that happens, the first stop I would have for Joshua Roy is right wing with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, assuming they're still playing together at that point. But that just seems – I would want – I really want to see what that looks like and see how Joshua Roy would, would, would react to that situation. Well, it's funny you say that because I com- I compared Joshua Roy and Brendan Gallagher based on their you know their draft rankings, but mm-hmm. Gallagher spent half a season in Hamilton in the lockout year in 2012, yeah. and you know he played 36 games over there, 20 points in 36 games, was called up once the season started and never looked back. So. Oh, he just yeah, made the I, team out of camp. Yeah, he didn't get called it. up. He made the team out of training yeah. camp. You're yeah, right. That's it. You're right. So. I think it doesn't have to be – it doesn't have to wait the whole year necessarily in Laval. But, I mean, it's all – it also has to do with, you know, it, it's it's all great the way that he started. But how will the body react, you know, to the toll of the American League when you're you're playing, you know, sometimes – well, very often, mm-hmm. you know, a back-to-back game, sometimes three in a row, a lot of bus rides, uh, et cetera. The, just the, the – the, the grind of the AHL schedule, uh, how is he going to react to that? And if he goes, if he goes through that wall instead of just hitting it, but goes through the wall and keeps going. Yeah. I think that's the signal that they're going to get in Montreal that the kid is ready for prime time. Yeah. And I think so, that's, that's, that's one thing that Hulu mentioned as a big concern right now is, you know, he, he had that five point game in Laval and then they left after the game to drive to Belleville arrived in Belleville at around three in the morning, played that night in Belleville, and Wah was not the same version of himself. You know, he obviously, that took a toll. That was, their, you know, I think it was uh, it was definitely a back-to-back, but they had played previously. It was, it was Belleville's a big, tough, physical team, as we saw uh, in Buffalo. They have a lot of big prospects that are down there, and so he had a bit more of a difficult game. And so making that second game under those circumstances at the same level as he was the previous night is a big, is the one thing that they're really going to work on. I think even Josh recognized that that was tough. He said that was really physically difficult and I'm going to have to learn how to be consistent. I'm going to have to learn to not allow, because there's, he said it himself, there are no excuses. We're professional hockey players. Now there's no excuses. Every team has to travel Every team goes through it. Every player goes through it. I have to be as good as I am. I have to be as good in that game as I was in the game prior. You know, taking the bus late at night is not an excuse, which is a great, great attitude to have. He recognizes it, which it shows good self-assessment as well. But, you know, I did it. I did ask him if he looks at the scoring leaders and he's like, well, I'm not one to look at them. But if you told me before the season that I'd be leading the league in scoring, I don't think I would have believed you. So he's pretty happy about 
the offensive output. But yeah, so there are some consistency things that he's going to have to. When this season becomes a grind, um, you know, they're going to he's going to need to adapt to that. And I think he will. He's he's yeah. he's got a good head on his shoulders. But it's funny you mentioned Brendan. You know, speaking of Brendan Gallagher, yeah, um, we we did want to finish the show talking about Brendan because you know he didn't he didn't look good first three games. And we were talking about how difficult it is to watch him, wondering if he's going to be able to have a season or, or what's going to happen with him. Are they going to be able to keep playing him? It was, it was some real dire talk around Brendan Gallagher after the first few games. So I think he deserves mention of how well he's playing now. Take away the, the late game bad penalties that he's had of late, but he's looking like a very effective player not 30 goal Brandon Gallagher but still an effective player who can help this team well that's it you don't I don't think anybody waits is expecting him to revert to 30 goal season form to me it's it's, it's being can you can you hold your own on the top nine and mm -hmm. make sure that you're not just there because your name is Brendan Gallagher because your play warrants it and lately it certainly has and it's it's funny because at first when they When Martin Saint Louis assembled that line of of Monaghan, Pearson, and Gallagher, everybody thought, okay, who's here's the reclamation project line or the guys that that tried yeah. to, you know, the the resurrection line to a certain extent. Well, it worked. So far, it's working, and yeah. I can see that the the path of those three guys might end up being very very different because I think that Monaghan, he's another one who might never go revert back to the is highly productive days of, of Calgary, but I can see him being definitely better or more productive or more impactful than he's mm -hmm. been maybe the past four years, let's say, because uh, he has that impact on in every facet of the game uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he's, he's their unsung hero so far. Pearson still have a bit of a hard time Reading him, I, I see his tool. I see his assets. I don't know what's going to... Uh, really? You have a hard time reading Pearson? Well, I, I have a... Not the player that he is, but projecting him on what is it going to amount to, let's say, two years from now. You know? I find him... Well, two, is, two is years trajectory, from now. It, it's it has his trajectory to that's... Right, go ahead. I understand, but the trajectory only has to last until... March 6th or whenever the trade deadline is. Yeah. Two years from now is not important to the Montreal Canadiens. As That's long as true. Tanner Pearson can continue playing the way he is now until March, a playoff team will take him. For sure. Undoubtedly. Oh, for sure. A guy for who sure. wins wall battles the way he does. Yeah. A guy who's always in the right place at the right time. Uh, a guy who can shoot it the way he has. Great I wrister. mean, listen, great wrister, heavy release, heavy shot. He's, you know, All three of those guys are are doing the redemption story yeah. in their own way. Uh, one thing I'd like to see from Gallagher is 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 you know I don't know how much Marty is still working on him, sort of evolving his game. You see it in Josh Anderson a little bit. Um, you see him thinking the game a little differently. Uh, you don't see it as much in Brendan Gallagher, and I'm, I'm starting to get the impression that maybe Marty was waiting for him to find his game again to to start working on him. But like you see. There's certain situations when the puck's on Brendan Gallagher's stick, everyone in the building knows he's going to shoot it as soon as he can, and he does. It invariably gets blocked. You know, there's there's little aspects of his game that if he wants to continue to be effective into his 30s, that 
incorporating some of those things that Marty's done with Josh uh, would be good for him. Learning how to look east-west, just in, increasing his peripheral vision or his range of vision instead of like directly in front of him uh, would be, you know, there's, there's, but it's good to see that the, some of the old traits of Brendan Gallagher, you know, getting into it with defensemen in front of the opposing net, just being a pain in the ass to play against and keeping up with the pace of the game, which he wasn't through the first three games really looked painfully slow. He doesn't look like, like he's not. No, there seems to be another gear. Yeah. There's another gear that he found lately that enables him to be following the play a lot more. Uh, he had a very uh, effective back check. I think it was against uh, against the Devils right after Jack Hughes had made an amazing back check to save a chance on the Canadian side. But right. Gallagher did the same the other way. Um, and yeah, he's he's got he, he just has more uh, yeah more 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 step in his skates. And the other thing is. And you refer to the fact that he, you know, he'll he'll mess around with the defenseman and the uh, around the around the net. Yeah. Having him back in the kitchen cooking—that's <laughs> yeah. that's where I want him. You know, the fact that he's he's a pain in the ass once again, and he's he's uh, it's his comfort zone. The, the, everybody everybody else talks about it like you pay the price to go in front of the net, uh, the dangerous areas. That's where. That's his bread and butter. That's where he feels comfortable. And he goes there and it's like, ah, yes, I get punched in the face. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it does. So, yeah, totally. It, it drives him for sure. But in order to do that, the puck has to be there and mm -hmm. he has to be there. And it's, it, you know, it too infrequently the last couple of years, it wasn't the case. The, either the, yeah. you know, the, either the, he, when the puck was there, he was, he would arrive a bit late and, Now mm -hmm. it's this, it's synchronizing itself a bit better and uh, it's, it's encouraging. I think it also has something to do because when he was kind of looking slow in the first three games, I'm like, well, why, you know, you've had an entire training camp. It's not as if like, it's, it's why, why are you not at peak condition right now? You know, you've back to back long summers to prepare and I'm, it's starting to dawn on me now that maybe it was just him getting used to his line mates. And, and just the rhythm that they play with. Yeah. Because uh, of late, and, you know, Marty mentioned it uh, prior to the game, you know, is, is he, I think he was asked about Pearson being an option with Suzuki and Caulfield. And uh, he said he doesn't really want to touch that line right now. You know, he kind of likes that line. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think they're, they're figuring. Interesting when comes back. <laughs> yeah which is what we got eight days November 4th November 4th is uh yeah eight days yeah boy I'm so excited for that that's gonna be so exciting <laughs> I will I'll be there in St. Louis it'll be uh, what a momentous day that'll be so uh but yeah it will be interesting to see what because I think personally I think that when that happens then Sean Monaghan's going to be with Suzuki and Caulfield I mean I, I, that's what I think will make, happen yeah it all makes sense so We'll see what happens when we get to that date. But as of now, that line's going well. Everyone's writing their redemption story. And if it all works out, the Canadians could recoup assets for Pearson, perhaps even Monaghan. And it'll, everyone will live happily ever after, and except for Brendan Gallagher, who will be actually be pretty well off collecting $6.5 million a year for the next few years. But, um, but he will have written somewhat of a redemption story if he can continue like this. And I hope... Uh, 
I hope that for him, you know, it was difficult watching him play uh, those first two games and to think yeah. that he's just not able to keep up. And so he's keeping up. So good for him. Yeah. Uh, next episode Monday, we'll, uh, we'll open the mailbag. So uh, we yeah. invite all of our listeners, uh, whether you listen to us on, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon, on Spotify, or you uh, watch us on YouTube. Um, you can send us your, your questions uh, either by on Twitter. Uh, we have our handle is uh, Basu and Godin. So B-A-S-U-A-N-D-G-O-D-I-N. Or you can send or just write us an e good old email uh, at basuandgodin at gmail.com. So send us your questions and we'll be happy to answer them uh, during the Monday's mailbag. Yeah. Um, Monday will be in Vegas, baby, Vegas. Yes. We will be recording from Vegas. Both Marc Antoine and I will be in uh, in Las Vegas for the We'll Canadian see if we'll team. do it, uh, where we'll do it from, either from our. Let's do it from, uh, yeah. Let's do it from outside rooms. the fountains or something. Yeah, we'll go to the oh, Bellagio nice. fountains. Yeah. Let's see if they have Wi Fi there. Let's see if they have Wi Fi. Yeah. yeah. We'll figure out something. We'll figure something out. But yeah, we'll both be in Vegas for Monday's episode. So we will, uh, we'll talk to you then. Awesome. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.